In today's show, we're looking at the Atlanta Hawks for the upcoming season and also your first opportunity to join the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Bowl for this upcoming season. Michael Bolton. Thanks, Josh. It's Michael Bolton here, and it's time for another episode of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. Let's get to it. Let's get to it, indeed. You are Locked On Fantasy Basketball. Your daily fantasy basketball podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast, brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am the lead fantasy analyst at BasketballMonster.com. And you can find me on Twitter, as always, at RedRock underscore B-Ball on TikTok at RedRock underscore B-Ball and on Instagram at LockedOnFantasyBasketball. Today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Right now, new customers can bet $5 and get 200 in bonus bets guaranteed. Visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to get started. Thank you also for making Locked On Fantasy Basketball your first listen every day. We are free. We're available on all platforms. All right. It's about that time that we jump into the team previews. And we've done our team previews back in August with the hosts across the Locked On Podcast Network, just digging into the basketball side, what they've heard. We use all that as we move through into projections and drafts and all that information they gave us. And now we dig into the teams from a more fantasy perspective, getting ideas or thoughts on a lot of the different players on this squad. And this is where the entries for the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Bowl get given out. So, let's just, I guess we just quickly start talking about that. Warning. Let's get it on, Gilly. <laughs> All right, the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Bowl is back. It's a big fantasy basketball tournament. Last season, we did 360 players in a category league, 360 players in a points league. Congratulations to Karan, who won the points league. And I mispronounced his name, and I apologize. Uh, Arik, who won the, from Day to Day Fantasy, who won the uh, category league bowl. Everyone who did make the final round of both of those has been re-invited this season, so welcome back. I've sent multiple invites to you guys, and now we are looking to do it again. We're going bigger this time. I don't know how many divisions we're going to end up with, but we are going to max it out at 60 divisions of 12 teams for categories and for points. I don't think we get there for points. Maybe. If we do, we do. What we do is we play 12-team divisions like a standard league, except a few restrictions. There's a 40-game hard cap each week. Can't go over it. So streaming lowers importance. We've got larger benches, 18-man rosters, 10 starters, 8 bench, to try and reduce some of the impact of injuries, improve your ability to foresee things like stashing. We play two matchups per week as well. So we're not in that situation necessarily where, well, man, I, I, my team was so good, but I ended up coming up against the team that was the best this week um, and I cop a loss. Yeah, that'll even out if we play two matchups. It also tries to even the schedule out somewhat. And at the end of the season, or well, you play your playoffs in your little 12-man division, eight teams in it, 1v8, 2v7, etc. And when you get down to the final two teams in each division, those two teams join every other two top two teams in a large field one-week battle royale where you play every opponent. So last season, Arik in the head-to-head categories went 59-0. and He beat every opponent somehow. I don't know how. He beat every opponent and won the title. It is $50 entry, $50 US entry. 
if you make it through to the final week battle royale by being in the top two of your division, you will get $200. And then all of the rest of the money gets split amongst the top three this season in the battle royale. So that's what the tournament is. We're doing points. We're doing category leagues. There will be an entry form that is linked in the show notes of this uh, podcast or in the YouTube description. You click that, you fill it out. It will probably take two days or so per episode for me to go through and decide who's going to get in. There are some questions on that and that's going to just give me something because last year we are getting hundreds and hundreds of applications per show. So there are some questions to try and sort some people out. There's a little section where you can put something in there for whatever little ad-lib part. And there's also going to be a very specific question that I ask later on in the show that you will have to include in that entry form as well. All right? So we got all that. There is an entry form to enter. And once you send that through in a few days, I sort through them all and I put it out. We're going to have, I'd say, looking at filling two divisions in... Sorry. Finish two divisions of category leagues from this show. And we'll start by filling one division of points leagues from this show. That's how we'll do it. So that's all that. That's the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Bowl done. Let's bring it across now and let's talk Atlanta Hawks for this upcoming season. What does their schedule look like? They've got 46 quality games. That's not bad. It's sort of in the middle of where where teams sit in terms of of a uh, of, of the schedule with quality games is that what is a quality game? I've talked about this many times and many of you can just ignore this. It's a day in the NBA where there are nine or fewer games played on, meaning that you are less likely to be in a situation where you need to choose between guys to start or sit, meaning you can maximize your games played through the week. The more quality games you have, the more often you play on the low volume days, which helps for streaming. It helps to open up spots on other days as well. They sit at um, number four with 46 out of, out of 82 games yeah, as quality games, which is totally reasonable. It's right in the middle of the pack in terms of um, the the likelihood of that happening. So yeah, that's where it's basically bang on average, 46 games, quality games. Back-to-backs, they have the most in the league. A lot of teams do 15. Back-to-backs range from 13 to 15 this season. They have 15 of them. And this is something else I'm introducing this week. It's called Max Weeks. How many weeks out of the 22 fantasy weeks for the season? Now, you might not play the last three weeks. I highly recommend that. If you don't play the last three weeks, again, just don't do it. But Max Weeks is how many times are they one of the teams that play the most games in that week? 12 of the 24 weeks this season, they max out. That's actually the lowest number. There are a few other teams on 12, but that's the lowest number of Max Weeks that they play. In terms of playoff schedule, well, those dates there are when you end. If you end on the 24th, they go 4-3-3. If you end on the 31st, it's 3-3-4. That's not that good, is it? If you end on the 7th of April, it's a 3-4-4. And if you end on the final day of the regular season because you've lost your mind, you go for, they go 4-4-4. The underline there on YouTube tells you, or tells me, for me to remind you, that that is the most that week. So they don't have max in any playoff week, any playoff setting, three weeks. I'm not going to do, you know, four-week playoffs or six-week playoffs. It's very hard to do all those numbers. You can check it all out at Basketball Monster. But if you do finish on the 14th of April, the final day of the regular season, then you will, um, they have the max schedule. But there's tons of teams that play that across that time. What are the pressure points for this team coming up for the season? And what do I mean by pressure points? What are the things that can really impact players? Well, number one is what do they do 
with the Kerner, Clint Capella, if I could find the sound drop for him. Sure, it's there somewhere. That'll plan. Lisa needs braces. Do they finally pull the trigger on a Clint Capella trade? It's been rumored all offseason that he is maybe the apple of Dallas's eye. Are they just going to do that and get those opportunities for Onyeka Okongwu, who, spoiler alert, is going to feature very heavily in this show? That's the big thing. Because if Capella is traded, Okongwu is through the roof. If Capella is not traded, well, we've got a level of uncertainty there, don't we? And that's where we can run into some overdrafting or maybe even undervaluing for certain players in that situation. The other thing is we don't know who replaces John Collins. They didn't bring anyone in to replace him. He's gone. He's in Utah. I expect that the depressed penis Sadiq Bay will start at power forward, but I just I don't think he's very good. He's one of those guys. You know who he reminds me of a lot? Torian Prince. A guy where you go, oh, yeah, he's perfect 3 and D wing. Yeah, well, is the three-point shot actually that good? And is the defense good? Because the answer to the second part is definitely no. And the three-point shot is theoretically there, but it's not. Like, it's never been there in that level. So is he a starting caliber player? I, I don't think so. But I think he's going to get first crack at it because we know Quinn Snyder, and that's what we'll talk about in a second, loves the shooting at the four. But there is a chance that Jalen Johnson starts there, but he doesn't really have that shooting ability. Or do they move DeAndre Hunter to the four, which would mean that someone else plays at the three? AJ Griffin? Bogdan Bogdanovich? There's opportunities there as well. So they're the big, big things. What happens with Capella and who replaces... John Collins. And the other thing is Quinn Snyder. He came in after the All-Star break. He didn't coach this team very much. They won that play-in game. They were okay in the playoffs against the Celtics. It was always going to be tough. But what does he do now? Full off-season, input on player personnel decisions. I'm guessing he was like, I don't want John Collins here. Just get rid of him for nothing. We don't need him here. I think he had a say in that. So I've got to feel like there's something there. And is that because he wants shooters? Is that because he wants Sadiq Bay? Is that because he believes in Jalen Johnson? I'm not sure. Are they going to change their pace? We saw guys like well, Trey Young, DeJounte Murray, they, they saw usage drops when Quinn Snyder took over. We saw the minute split change between Capella and Okongwu. Okongwu played fewer minutes, but played better. So what is Snyder's style going to look like for a full season? Faster pace, slower pace? The Jazz historically had always been an extraordinarily slow pace team. Very slow. Is that going to be an impact? Is that going to be something they install this season? They're the things that we have to look at. Today's episode is brought to you by Fangio. The NFL season is here. Very clearly it's here. We are into week two and Fangio has incredible offers because of course, they are America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers can bet $5, bet $5 easy, and they give you $200 in bonus bets back Guaranteed. But everybody, not new customers, every bloke out there, or Sheila, whoever you are, who's going to put the money in there, you get $100 off NFL Sunday ticket from YouTube and YouTube TV. Every person, bet $5, $100 off NFL Sunday ticket. So it's the best time now to join FanDuel. The app is easy to use. You can bet on everything from spreads, player props, money lines, totals, whatever it is. FanDuel's going to have it there. And you get an NFL Sunday ticket. You can watch Tua Tagovailoa take the Dolphins to a uh, 17-0 perfect season. 
Visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and kick off the NFL season with an offer that you won't want to miss. FanDuel is an official partner of the NFL. And don't forget to gamble responsibly. Let's look at breakout candidates. What do I mean by breakout candidates? Because sometimes terminology is hard. And I don't say that to be an asshole, but sometimes it is hard. What does it mean? So when we're looking at breakout candidates, it's like, what is an expectation? Well, the expectation is, I think, that someone like a Kongwu, and I'm not going to talk too much about him now because we are going to go under the lens with him because you voted for him to be a guy I go a little bit in depth on. Yeah, the breakout guy is that what we're projecting him at, maybe a minute split, that could just blow through the roof and he plays 32 minutes a night, Capella is gone, and he literally is a top 40, top 30 player. Like That is all distinctly possible for a Kongwu. So you have to price that in, and I don't think that it has been through his ADP and ranks. Might not happen. And I've always pushed back on a Kongwu. That's, that's not true. Let me rephrase that. I had a Kongwu number three in that draft. Was it my best draft? Not really, because I had Killian Hayes at two. But I had Wiseman down. Unfortunately, I had Anthony Edwards down as well. So I didn't, that wasn't great. But I did really like a Kongwu. And I have always liked a Kongwu. But I've always said, they're not benching Capella for a Kongwu. They're not trading Capella for a Kongwu. And now... I am saying that. I, I think they are. I'm not going to bench him, but I think they are going to at least split minutes or trade Capella. Has to sort of come to fruition at some point. So that's what I'm paying attention to. That's all, The Kongu's got that gigantic upside. Same with Jalen Johnson. Like I might project him for 19 minutes to be the 190th best player. But what if he does take over from Sadiq Bay? What if in year three, things come together? He develops a shot. He's a menace defensively. He works in transition fantastically, and he plays 30 minutes a night as a starter. That's a breakout candidate. And when we go further in the draft, that's what we want to start to look at. In round 12, we don't want to take Harrison Barnes. We don't want to take, no offense from him, Bogdan Bogdanovich. He's a really good player. But the upside is absolutely really nothing there for him. What we do want to have a crack at is Jalen Johnson. Because if it hits, great. And if it doesn't, see you later. And the other one there is Adrian Griffin Jr., who, as I said earlier, if Bay is not hitting shots, very high possibility, well, maybe Griffin starts. They push Hunter to the four, or maybe Hunter is traded and Griffin starts. He shot the ball really well as a very young first-year player last season. He has some fantasy category issues in terms of, like, what else is he doing? Is there any rebounds or assists? Steals, I think he can be okay at. Can he get to the line? Like, well, There's a few concerns with that sort of stuff. But he does have the potential very easily to break through his overall um, overall projections or where you see him from a... And that's a hard thing because you've got to look at a completely neutral lens. This is what the team is. This is how the rotation is going to work out 85% of the time. And in 85% of those times when you look at it, he's going to play 17 minutes a night on a regular basis. Remember the 240 rule. Every single game in the NBA, there are 240 minutes to go around. And when you give the minutes out to Trey, DeJounte, Hunter, Bay, Johnson, Capella, Okongwu, maybe Paddy Mills, maybe rookie Kobe Bufkin, maybe Wes Matthews, there's not 27 minutes there for Griffin. There just isn't. You can't find them. So when we project it out, we look at those numbers. But what if those things happen? What if in year two, he's much better, he's much bigger, he's much stronger, he's more efficient, he's more demanding of the ball, and Bay shit again? Well, there is that breakout opportunity that won't necessarily happen, 
could very well happen. I, I don't think that's I don't think that's outrageous to suggest that there is an opportunity there for Adrian Griffin to jump into a bigger role. Much less so than a Kong where it's very clear. And Johnson where it's smirkily clear. Griffin's is squinty clear. They are obviously very descriptive um, categories that I gave those without them actually meaning anything concrete. But I think you get what I mean. Crystal clear, murky clear, squinty clear. That's sort of where we're looking at how we see those paths to minutes come across. Today's episode is brought to you by Jace Medical. The Jace case provides five life-saving antibiotics for emergency use. All it takes to get a Jace case is to fill out a simple online form and in some cases, jump on a quick call with one of their board-certified physicians, talk you through all the things that you would need to know, um, the reasons you would use these antibiotics in these emergency life-saving type situations and go through all of your medical concerns and things like that that you, you will have because we never know what's going to happen. Disasters, floods, scrub fires, brush fires, bushfires, whatever you want to call them, trees on fire. It's a big problem. Cyclones, tornadoes, hurricanes, earthquakes. They can strike at any time and you might sustain an injury and you cannot get to a hospital or doctor. Sometimes having those antibiotics at home is a lifesaver. Now, you don't just use them for anything. They are a life-saving emergency treatment. And now... You don't want to get caught unprepared. You don't have to. You can save $360 by getting these life-saving antibiotics with Jace Medical and an additional 20 bucks off by using the code Locked On at checkout at jacemedical.com. That's Jace, J-A-S-E, medical.com. The promo code is Locked On. All right, so... What we're going to do now is I'm going to be throwing these polls out on Twitter for you guys to vote on a play you want me to dive a little bit deeper into, to go, to put under the lens, under the microscope, under the lens. What am I talking about? Don't give it different names, Josh, because you worked on this graphic. We're going under the lens with Onyeka Okongwu. Last season, Okongwu, Okongwu was in that backup role again. But there were some quite positive signs, especially towards the end of the season. So we want to have a look at what Okongwu was able to do. If you are watching on YouTube, I'm putting some handy-dandy graphs up on the screen. What that graph is up on the screen at the moment is the minus one rank. Because again, in general, head fantasy is a head-to-head game. 95% of leagues are head-to-head. 60 to 70% of those are category leagues. So that's what we steer a little bit towards when looking at these graphs. So looking at the value of a player on a per-week basis, I think might be more efficient sometimes than per game. A Kongwu for the year averaged 23 minutes a night. He averaged 10 points, 7 rebounds, 1.3 blocks, and importantly for category leagues, 64 from the field and 78 from the line. That graph there shows you what his minus one totals rank was each week. In the middle of it, there's a big orange line, and you'll see it going down meaning that as the season went on, now it's not perfectly correlated, obviously, but the overall trend line says as the season went on, a Kongwu got better, and he did. That middle stretch of the season where you see those really low numbers for a Kongwu is when Capella was out, so be aware of that. But just as a general rule, the production from a Kongwu did improve as the season went on. The other thing that's worth mentioning or worth noting 
I think with a Kong win now at the top of that graphic there as well. That's those numbers there are, are telling you where he ranked last season. Yahoo points. He was 133rd per game. ESPN points. He was 131st using minus one rankings. He was 95th. So that's around where he was last season. I want to look at his minutes per week because I said it earlier and probably shouldn't have. But Okongwu did see his minutes drop under Quinn Snyder. But if you look at this graph, well, it doesn't actually tell you that story, which I thought, I again, shouldn't have said that at the start. What the difference is, is the middle patch of the season where there is the big minute spike for the week, Capella was out. At the start of the year, you're 60 games, 60 minutes a week, 56 minutes, 105, 83, 77. At the end of the season, 76, 80, 76, 91 in the final with 59. It's a little bit lower, but that was more comparing it to what happened start of the season, which included him as a backup and as a starter. And then when Snyder took over, he never started outside of maybe a game, but he didn't have a big stretch of starting. So the backup minutes that he got, weren't as different as I initially thought when he played under Nate McMillan. But that's how his minutes looked. So as you see, the the ranking trend moving downwards, getting better. The minutes trend is sort of marginally going up, but it's about about steady. But there was a lot of improvement in his game. Where did the improvement come from? Blocks. These are the block per week numbers. At the start of the season, you'll get nothing. Multiple one-week blocks out of a Kong as a backup. Got the spike in the middle there where he started for Clint Capella. Six blocks, eight blocks, eight blocks, seven blocks. Great. And then he went back to the bench. And then at the end of the season, he just started racking them up. Six, two, but then four, four, eight, seven, six over the final six weeks. He started blocking shots in big bunches, even though he was playing backup minutes. And the other thing that happened was he became an unbelievably good free throw shooter. You'll see the orange line again. It's trending up. There are some weeks where he didn't attempt a single free throw at all, so bear that in mind. When you look at his free throw percentage, he might not get to the line ever. So while he's a good free throw shooter, it might not matter. But there is improvement here. Early in the season, there's like 60s and 70s and 50s. And at the end of the year, 83, 83, 57, 80, 71. What these graphs also identify or or show you is that Free throw percentage, no matter what your season-long number is, or blocks, or whatever category it is, there is tons of week-to-week variance. So we can look at numbers when we draft. We can look at averages and go, well, I'm going to do this, this, and this. And the short answer to it all is, you're not. You're not going to do that, because that's not how averages work. For Roto, absolutely no problem. But it's not how averages work. And you can see there's just a lot of variation in a lot of individual stats. I want to highlight his Darko change number. This is the yeah, Darko change is like how, what what direction is your Darko heading? Like how what's what's the change? Because Darko is a thing that takes into consider what you've done with a little bit of future projection into it as well. And as you see, at the start of his career, he was a pretty steady positive improvement player. There was a stretch there in the middle to end of the 21-22 season where he started to regress. He wasn't improving. He was actually getting a little bit worse, according to Darko. But then, last season, it really took off, and he's really cranking at the moment, and he's on a very big upward trajectory, which I'm excited to see where it goes. So what is Nekiro Kongwu? He's a small center. He's probably about the same size as Bam Adebayo, 
But unlike Bam Adebayo, who can be a pretty big usage player with some passing chops, Okongwu's got a bit of that. But Bam never does anything defensively protecting the rim as a general rule. Okongwu does. And if you look at this graph here, this is comparing him to Clint Capella thanks to Basketball Index. On the x-axis, it's rim deterrence percentile. On the y-axis, it's rim protection percentile. So you'll see that Okongwu is up in the top right corner and Capella's down in the bottom left. Now, it looks stark because the the scale of the axis is 95 versus 93. So it's not a big difference, but it just shows that in terms of rim protection, how good you are as a rim protector, Okongwu, much better than Capella last season. He was better than Capella. The problem is, is that bottom part of it, the x-axis, shows that he was one of the worst in the 30th percentile, one of the worst players in stopping people from actually getting to the rim or from deterring them from getting to the rim. And part of the idea of being a good rim protector and good defender is not just blocking shots or altering shots. It's scaring the shit out of players so they don't come to the rim. And that's where Capella has him covered. So when we look at this, initially, if you look at that number, go, well, his rim protection percentile is better than Capella. He's a better rim protector. But Capella's still good. And then he also stops people going to the rim. They're scared of him. That's reputation-wise, it's size-wise, it's wingspan-wise. So they are some of the concerns. So while we can look at a bunch of stuff with old mate Clint Capella and think, oh, he's, he's running down, he's losing steam, he was still really impactful in a lot of the metrics last season. And that ability to deter people coming to the rim was still very much there. Even though Okongwu was better at reducing field goal percentage and blocking shots, they still got to the rim. Whereas with Capella, they didn't. So just gives you a little bit of food for thought, I hope. Let's talk fantasy sleepers. I've got two guys that are, two guys that I want to hand uh, cover here. And one of them is Adeka Okongwu. Because again, this is going to be a lot of Okongwu stuff. I hope you can translate the stuff that's on the screen. I'll, I'll quickly discuss what it is. Why rank nine means what is the ranking for, what is the X rank for Kapala, or sorry, for Okongwu for nine category leagues. Now, Yahoo doesn't offer different rankings for different systems, but these are just the general things that I'm going to look through. So when I look at a sleeper, Okongwu being ranked at 109 in a category league on Yahoo, I think it's really good value. I think he's much better than that. But if you're talking about a points league, which is the next line there, you'll see I've put strike through on it. Him at 109 on for a points leg on Yahoo, not, not really a steal, not a sleeper. That's about the right area. He's not a great points league guy. Of course, that's expecting him to be a backup. If he's a center, he blows. If he's a starting center, he blows through it. But that's where we're at. But every other situation here, I think there is sleeper potential. His ADP's at 103 for nine category leagues. We love that. I said for points leagues, it's probably not. His Fantrax ADP's at 86, much higher. More dialed in drafters a lot of the time on fan tracks. I actually still think there's value in him at 86. So you're not, you don't need to go higher than that, but if you get him at 86, I actually still think there's value. ESPN's got him ranked for nine cat. Now they do have different rankings for points in nine cat leagues. His nine cat rankings 117 and his points ranking is 132. And for both of those, he is a sleeper. Just a tremendously big sleeper. And his ADP is even worse. It's 137 on ESPN, which covers both formats. But that is just immense theft. Immense theft. Jalen Johnson. Yahoo's got him ranked at 199. I think for both category leagues and points leagues. Remember, that's in a standard format. 
That's like a 16-team league player, a back-end 16-team league player, which is, you know, surely in a, in a back-end 16-teamer, you're taking a flyer on him. That's not that's not right to me. Like, he is a last-round-ish sort of 12-team league player. So that's too low. He doesn't even have an ADP. On fan tracks, his ADP is 154, which doesn't really show you that there's great steal value there because that's fine. That's last round stuff. That's about the right area. ESPN does not rank him in their nine-cat ranks, does not rank him in their points league ranks. And his ADP is at 140, which is the default ADP they give to everybody. So in every format on ESPN, I think he's a pretty good value option to take a look at. We are going to talk busts in a second. But just quickly, it's time for me to tell you that now I'm going to give you the little little clue of the question that I want answered. One of the questions I want answered in the application for the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Bowl. What rank was Onyeka Okongwu at the time of me recording this on ESPN Points Leagues? Where has ESPN Points Leagues ranked Onyeka Okongwu? If you want in, that's one of the questions you're going to have to answer. What about busts? I think DeJounte Murray is a bust. DeJounte Murray really thrived two years ago as the absolute number one option in San Antonio. And we knew, well, actually not all of us did. Most of us knew that wouldn't translate across fully. I would say that it probably went worse than I expected for him in Atlanta. I don't think that, you know, while he was cover up the D issues for Trey, I don't think that really worked. They'll just have always have this ball handler on the court. I don't think you want him, honestly, as a guy that's running everything all the time. I, I don't think that it worked. And I don't really see much with DeJounte that's going to change significantly this season. Now, I guess you could say with no John Collins and maybe you know, Bay replacing him, that usage might go that way. Collins wasn't a high usage player. It, maybe it enables Murray to get a few extra rebounds because Collins to Bay is a rebound drop. That is possible. And we might see him push back to two steals per game. He was still all right, but going from two to 1.5, we all know there's a gigantic difference. So I think that at most of these spots, he's ranked 30th on Yahoo for point season category leagues. I don't think I'd take him there. I think it's too high. His ADP is at 33. That's at too high. His Fantrax ADP is 33. That's too high. On ESPN, he's ranked at 45 on category leagues. And I actually think probably about right. It's probably about the right area. Fourth round, start of the fifth round, about the right spot. But he's ranked 31 in point seeds. I don't love that. His ADP is 39. That's probably pushing a little bit too high as well. The other one that I think is a bust is... Dental plan. Lisa needs braces. If I'm going to say that I really like a Kongwu's trajectory, I worry a bit about Capella. He is ranked on Yahoo, X-ranked 71. His ADP is 74, and I am not touching him anywhere near that. To me, he's more around the 80, 90, 100 mark. Now, if he does get traded and he is a starter and plays 29 minutes a night, then there is a little bit of upside there. That is true. But I still wouldn't want to invest in a guy that has seen a little bit of a block rate decrease over a period of time. His fan track's ADP at 99. He's not a bust at that spot. That's actually about bang on, I think. ESPN's got him 75th for 9-cat, 77th for points leagues. Too high. But his ADP on ESPN sits at 98, which... I think, again, is is pretty good. It's not bad. And getting Kun Capella at 98 is actually really solid. I've got no problem with that. They don't have any injuries this team heading into the season. What I do want to cover off here is what's... I'm going to try and do this for each team. What's a trade that could happen? 
and what could maybe happen in that deal. I'm not going to go and spend hours and hours mucking around on trade machine trying to give you all these deals. That's not what I'm about here. But what I do want to say is that you know, I think that there is a big cha- chance of Clinkapella getting traded. And what would they want to get back? I think they want to get help at forward because at the moment, it's probably going to be DeAndre Hunter and Sadiq Bay in the starting lineup or it's Dalen Johnson or it's AJ Griffin. And they're not well beaters at all. Maybe Griffin and Johnson can turn into something good. Hunter's had a lot of chances and he's very mid. Bay, I think, is worse than mid. So I think they'd want to get some forwards back. And given the fact that they would be trading Capella away, that would mean that they would be relying upon Bruno Fernando, Rocket's starting legend, Bruno Fernando, to be the backup center. So I think they'd want some sort of center depth help because behind um, behind uh, geez, what he's done, uh, uh, a Kongwu, you're going to have um, a Fernando or then like even like a, a two-way guy like Miles Norris. You're not, you don't have a huge amount there. So that's what I think they'd be looking at. So when you're thinking about maybe the value of Griffin or Johnson or Bay, that if they do trade Capella, I think maybe someone comes in. Pascal Siakam. Maybe someone comes in that plays in a similar position there. That's that's It's worth thinking about a little bit. I'm going to include this because I know people will want to hear about it, but let me preface it by telling you that contract year means nothing for fantasy. It doesn't mean a single thing. There is no discernible difference in a player in a contract year's performance year on year. In some cases, as an average, it gets worse. So don't make your draft decision based on contract year. But there are certain situations that are important, like this one. Anyeka Kongwu and Sadiq Bey, the depressed penis, are both restricted free agents coming up. What does that mean? Well, it doesn't mean necessarily that these guys are going to be you know, outperforming because they need, you know, because they're playing for money. That's not how this works. They're in year four of their career, which means a lot of the time they get better during that time frame. But what it's more important is that like, they need to see what a Kongwu can do. They need to see what he's able to perform like as a starting center long-term to see whether they are going to pay up or match bids in restricted free agency. And it's the same with Bay. Can he fill the Boyan Bogdanovich role for Quinn Snyder? And does that mean they want to pay up for him in restricted free agency? So it's not about them playing harder or better. It's about maybe other moves need to be made because there are contract decisions coming up and we'll see what happens there. Again, the general overall contract year rule is when you take every example and look into them, that is marginal improvement, no improvement, or decrease in improvement. What's that? Deprovement? What's the right word? Regression? Like that, there's, there's nothing tangible to get out of it. We, all, we always need to look at every individual significant situation to figure it out. You'll notice that I haven't spoken much about Trey Young. I will do that soon. Let's look at some risks in the rotation. I talked about a lot of this already. Sadiq Bay, we expect to start, but Johnson could get there. Griffin could get in there. But what if Griff, What if DeAndre Hunter sucks again and Quinn Snyder's like, what is this, bro, what does this guy do? He allegedly defends, but he's not a defensive playmaker. He can't pass. He doesn't get enough usage and he's shootings all over the shop. Let's put AJ in there. Maybe. I doubt it. And Quinn lost a bit of faith in AJ towards the end of last season, but year two, who knows? So when we, when you're considering drafting a Bay or a Johnson or a Griffin or a Hunter, there's a lot of uncertainty around that 3-4. And the other one, of course, is what the hell happens? Does Capella play 29 and a Kongwu play 19? Is Capella gone before training camp and a Kongwu is playing 30? And both guys are playing 30, Capella and his new team and a Kongwu here. They're rotational risks when we're deciding what we're going to do. 
you've heard these names before, but these are permanent monsters. Give them a bigger role and they become very big, very good fantasy options. Now, you can't always just strictly go, well, look what he did per 36. Because again, as a general rule, the more minutes you play, the more your rate statistics drop. If you're blocking two shots a game in 15 minutes, you probably block 1.6 in 27 ratio made up. That's a general, you block, you're grabbing 15 boards per 36. Cool. You play 30 minutes and that might come down to 13.8 per 36. It's just what happens. Energy, fatigue, playing alongside better players, playing against better players. But these two have extraordinarily good looking per 36 values that is worth mentioning when it ties into a lot of the other stuff that we did as well. So let's look at their current depth chart. I'm not going to do it based on point guard or shooting guard because I think it's more useful to look at it this way. Your fantasy site will have different position eligibilities depending on all that stuff. The bolded names are the guys that I think are going to start. So we've got Trey Young and DeJounte Murray in the backcourt. I think Trey is a very interesting one. He was ranked pretty low in traditional rankings last season. Yahoo initially had him in like the third round for this season, but they've bumped him up to mid-second. My Durant system actually doesn't like Trey Young that much, but my traditional Z-score ranking systems and minus ones love him. He's a borderline first-round guy. The whole idea behind Durant is that our perception of what a first-round guy is or what value is might not be correct based on mathematical mathematical issues. So when I look at Trey, I go, maybe I want to take him at the end of the first round. Maybe I consider it. Maybe he's a second-round guy. But if the Durant valuations prove to be something that is a little bit more accurate, then maybe he's not that guy. There was a drop in his field goal attempts when Snyder took over, but that was su- supplemented a little bit by more free throws. But the big thing here with Trey is, hit some threes, mate. Like, you take him, hit him. He's had one season as being a good percentage three-point guy. Now, he's an excellent three-point shooter in the fact that he scares the shit out of defenses because he'll take them from deep, he'll make some from deep, and he takes tons of them, tons, tons of pull-up ones, and that scares defenses. So as a three-point shooter... He is extremely valuable. As a three-point converter, not so much. And for fantasy, unfortunately, spacing impact doesn't really count. Fear of defenses doesn't really count. So when he's shooting 34% from three, his field goal percentage drags down. You should use effective field goal percentage. But that his overall field goal percentage drops down. But if he goes back and hits 37, well, he is a first-round guy. The rest of the guards on this roster, Kobe Bufkin, who really struggled in summer league, showed he was not ready to be a point guard at all. He's got good size, is theoretically a good finisher and a good shooter, good defender. And the other two guys are Paddy Mills and Trent Forrest. The way that I'm defining these positions, and maybe this is something we should do in fantasy. I haven't thought about this that much, just thinking now. Guards, to me, are players who are you know, traditionally point guards or shooting guards. So maybe you know, in fantasy, that's the G position. Yeah, that's what these guys are. You never really see them play any other position. Young and Murray, and then Bufkin, Mills, Trent Forrest, who's their two-way guy. They just re-signed. They're guards. Maybe Mills is the backup initially. He looked bad last season. He was okay at FIBA. And then they'll work Bufkin into that role later on. But they're your guards. Wings, to me, is someone who can play the two, traditionally the two, or the three. And you'll notice, it's a big gap here. I 
when I look at this team, I don't think they start a wing, which is going back to like when they're getting something back in a capella trade. Maybe they want an actual wing because I don't think they start one. A wing to me is the fantasy position, shooting guard slash small forward. Maybe that could be a starting spot. Guards, shooting guards, small forwards is the next one. Inter- interchanging. But on the bench, you've got someone like Bogdan Bogdanovich who can play those roles. Adrian Griffin, they're going to be... Bogdanovich is going to be your first guy off the bench. Smalls division, a Kongwu, bigs division. And then Griffin's going to be in the rotation. But then there's also Wes Matthews, who is like 37 or 36. Can't play big minutes, but still can be an okay defender and an okay shooter. And getting him and Mills in gives a lot of stability to the back end of the rotation if they choose to use them. Then there's Garrison Matthews, a three-point shooter who does nothing else, and two-way wing Seth Lundy from Penn State, who I thought was bad at summer league, but did shoot the ball well, but he's old. He's like 23 already as a rookie, and he's on a two-way deal. The other two positions we have are forwards and bigs. So what's a forward? Someone who plays small forward and power forward. So that's your F position in fantasy. G, SGSF, F. I think that they start two forwards. DeAndre Hunter, Sadiq Bay. And the reason I say this is I don't really ever see Hunter playing as a guard. I don't really ever see Bay playing as a guard. To me, they play at the three or the four. That's it. They both start there. You could argue that being just a small forward is a wing, but when your position is more 3-4 versus 3-2, I think you're more of a, more of a forward. I think Hunter and Bay start. Hunter has proven year on year that he's a terrible category league fantasy guy. He's not a bad points league guy. He's not particularly strong, but he's not He's not great. He's not knocking down the door. He's not putting up great numbers. Like maybe he's able to be like, what was he last season? Pretty shit, I'm guessing. Uh, 152nd in points leagues, averaging 24 points a night. That's like, just not good enough. There's no point in drafting a bloke like that. There's no upside to it. It's going to require injuries and injuries change everything. But even then, like, do you want to rely upon him to be a number one guy or number two guy? Not really. And Bay is someone, again, I think he's relatively overrated, but I do think he's going to have a fair chunk of minutes. I think he's going to be, and I drafted him in the Roto mock draft the other day. Does he play like 30 minutes a night? Maybe, close to it. He's been sort of healthy through his career. He might get you two and a half threes and six or seven rebounds. The worry you have there is assists, steals, and blocks. He's a good free throw shooter, but he doesn't get there too much. And the problem with him is if you think he's going to get to the rim and do all this you know, driving stuff, he leads to inefficient long twos, which tank his field goals. But I think they're going to start. And I just don't know why that graphic says that Kobe Bufkin, Paddy Mills, and Trent Forrest are the backups at forward because they are not. So apologies for that. But in terms of their actual backup forwards on this team, there isn't anyone who's really you know, sitting there as a small forward, power forward traditional backup forward. There are some guys who are bigs who can play the four. There are guys who are guards or wings that can play up and play the three, like Bogdanovich and Griffin. But no one apart from Hunter and Bay who traditionally look like forwards to me. And then there's bigs. I think Capella is going to get the start. Bigs to me is someone who's a power forward center. Now, not all these guys would want to play power forward like Capella. He's never going to do that, but he's a big. And then his backup will be a Kongwu. No, I don't think a Kongwu has really any chance of starting next to Capella. Maybe I'm wrong on that. Maybe they go a Jarrett Allen style, but Capella, uh, sorry, Quinn Snyder's never really shown that. Um, and then your other bigs are Jalen Johnson. So they're probably your main three rotation bigs. Capella, a Kongwu Johnson. And then you're down to uh, Bruno Fernando. Second round pick, Muhammad Gaye. 
and two-way player Miles Norris, who is like a bad defending big rookie, but a shooter. Think of former Hawks legend Mike Muscala. Uh, maybe even like a Mike Scott, Prison Mike. That's where Miles Norris fits in. The last thing I want to talk about are the two metrics that I've been discussing. And I haven't really spoken about one of them at all, but I'm going to do it now. It's hopefully coming to Basketball Monster soon. Durant, dynamic, unbiased, rankings, applying, normalized transformations. And the other one is Bazemore, which is my dynasty ranking formula. Stands for basketball age, Z-score, experience, metrics, and ongoing ranking evaluation. So we're adjusting it. Yeah, look, does it require a lot of manipulation to get it into a name? Sure, but that's fine. But we're looking at all these things. Age, current production Z-score, experience, how long you've been in the league, metrics, advanced metrics, how impactful are you? Does that mean you're going to stay in the league longer as an impactful player? And then constant updates to rankings to get the dynasty formula. And this formula is going to be on Basketball Monster. It's going to be hopefully tweakable so you can set a scale of neutrality, competing, rebuilding, I guess retooling, and I'll have some numbers for those, and a lot of functionality to adjust. This is the first time that I'm bringing this stuff out. In terms of Durant, I want to go through and look at traditional ranking numbers and view how Durant differs sizably. Trey Young was way down, like very much lower on Durant than on regular rankings, and so was DeJounte Murray. So it makes me, hmm, is what they actually provide useful enough? Given so much of Trey's value comes in free throw percentage, and as I've illustrated plenty of times, free throw percentage varies a lot, but also the impact of it is so wildly different depending on the rest of your team that I think we might overvalue it somewhat. Maybe. No surprise to see Enyeka Okongwu and Jalen Johnson pushed up higher in Durant versus traditional metrics. Well, AJ Griffin, because he's a little bit empty across the board, he was actually way worse in Durant versus regular rankings. Some numbers that showed up on Bazemore, trying to set it for like a mid, you're not fully in contending mode, you're not fully rebuilding, you're probably not even retooling. You're sort of like, you're mid which is not going to apply to everybody, but you're mid, right? You're 7th or 6th in a dynasty league sort of standing setting. Jalen Johnson came in as a top 70 player. This is for category leagues, by the way. Okongwu was a top 30 guy. DeJounte Murray was outside the top 90. Now, this formula is still being worked on. It's going to be beta tested this season. But Murray, he's been in the league 8 years. I don't love his overall production. Durant doesn't like him too much. And Bazemore does include parts of Durant as well. And... You know, you're bumping a lot of other younger guys ahead. Now, if you're moving into a contending sort of phase and Murray jumps up significantly from there. AJ Griffin was inside the top 160. So while Durant didn't love him, his age, experience, and some of the advanced metrics do push him up. Well, Kobe Bufkin, now it is, rookies are going to be hard to evaluate because we don't have a lot. We don't have anything to go on. We don't have any past production. We don't have any advanced numbers. We have nothing. So Bufkin didn't, and that, now that's not to say rookies are bad because there's scoots high on it. Victor's really high, obviously. Bufkin wasn't. He was really quite poor outside the top 300 on Bazemore. And that brings us to the end of this show. Remember, get your Locked On Fantasy Basketball Bowl entries in. The link is in the description or in the show notes on the podcast. And follow this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and on the Odyssey app and on YouTube. Thumb it up and leave your comments down below. Guys, we are done here. 
Thank you so much for listening, everyone. So yeah.